0: I'm John Moorhead, and this is the Multi-Faith Matters Podcast, and I'm privileged today to have as my guest, Ethan Stark. And I don't have a whole lot of introductory material on Ethan, so I'm going to first welcome him to the podcast. Welcome, and thanks for coming, Ethan.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, John. <laughs>
0: yeah, I've got very little notes here in terms of uh, what I was able to dig up on you personally and your background. You, you have a pagan bath- background in specific, uh, specifically heathenry. You're involved in multi-faith work. Uh, interfaith work. And uh, you're also involved in a group that is just fascinating to me, Heathens Against Hate. So we want to unpack all of that. Um, but to, before we begin that, can you give me a little more background? Other than here's Ethan Stark, and he's a pagan and a heathen.
1: Well, I was born on December 17th, 1983. No, uh, <laughs> um, no, is
0: I. 83, really uh, you are so young.
1: Yeah, I know I, well I mean there's there, there's there's some gray that's slowly coming okay. in here you know I that, that big 40 is right around the corner All right. um but uh yeah i I mean i uh I grew up um I grew up in Israel actually um okay. and I grew up in in uh, conservative Judaism and it wasn't until like the age of approximately 13 where I kind of really started to develop a sense of this may not be for me, um, and kind of traverse the world of, of of the world religion, so to speak. And um, I found Wicca at 13. It, that's you know, that's called, sort of like the um the introductory of earth-centered spiritualities for a lot of people. Um and through you know, throughout the years I I kind of realized that you know, Wicca was a, an amalgamation of of many. Many different traditions in and of themselves, and so delving a little bit more into into those particulars, I kind of zeroed in eventually on heathenry, um, also known as also true or Germanic paganism, mm-hmm. um, and that really was what I gravitated towards um, gravitated towards in terms of the folklore and in terms of of those um, northern traditions. Um, and so yeah and so i started getting involved in that and um along in part of that involvement i became a member of the troth which is one of the largest uh international heathen organizations um and, in, and an inclusive one at that and through the troth i was i managed to sort of gain a lot of knowledge and a lot of resources and eventually became active within the organization and i currently sit on their board of directors as well as their being their clergy liaison um and it was through the troth and through their work that i eventually became involved with heathens against hate which kind of started as as a blog at first back in i think 2008 and then eventually it Sprung up as a movement, and eventually had to be codified as an organization, um, and that kind of <laughs> that kind of brings us to to today. A lot of a lot of the a lot of the background um, that I have in in interfaith work, a lot stems through my personal life. My uh, my wife is a is a practicing Lutheran Christian with the ELCA, um, and with my background being Jewish and. And having lived uh, abroad in 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 a very uh, non homogenous environment, if you will, in terms of a of religious space, um, as well as some of the dissension and conflict that is associated with the Middle East, it kind of makes a person aware of stuff like that. And so, it it was very much something that I kind of br- took with me, and coming to pagan circles, I also had to kind of examine how things were structured, and how, you know, what I liked, what I didn't like any kind of behavioral patterns, um, that that I didn't really, you know, I disagreed with, or I had a problem and uh, a problem with and so I kind of decided to really make it my mission to when I go to different events, or when I, you know, present myself to certain people. Um, I pres- I am unabashedly uh, 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 a proud pagan polytheist, but I am also very much in tune and understanding where I came from, who my friends and family are, and, and understanding that uh, that broad stroke of a brush cannot be applied uh, to everyone, and everybody is a unique individual that deserves attention. And so... A lot of the a lot of interfaith work kind of, I think deals with that. It kind of brings differences as uniquenesses to the foreground that kind of dispel some of the myth that surround the big picture of whatever faith tradition a person is. And uh, yeah, and that you know that kind of brings us to today.
0: Well, part of your response uh, anticipates my next question. What, one of the things I like to do in this podcast, it's not just about ideas. Uh, unfortunately, Protestant evangelicalism is, is really about doctrine, belief, ideas, disagreement with others, this kind of thing. And, and all of that has its place and it's important, but uh, these ideas are embedded in people's lives. It's about our, our journeys, our different spiritual journeys that we take. And you mentioned a little bit about that when you talked about your bio, but when you, what, what was it personally that you were looking for that you encountered within heathenry that you found so appealing that you made you, you, adopted as your own particular spiritual pathway.
1: Um, a lot of that, it, it kind of, it kind of developed in gradation. It wasn't something that, that, that it wasn't an, an epiphany. It wasn't, it, it wasn't some sort of, some sort of revelation. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of pagans would probably have similar experiences where, they, they gravitated toward a particular idea of what they wanted out of a faith tradition, or out of a spiritual uh, pathway, and kind of started going down that stream, collecting different things along the way of, of things that gravitated and appealed to them. For me, it was Tolkien, when i read lord of the rings i was so excited by all that by all that mythic motif that he wove in that i was curious i'm like where did he, where did he get all this stuff from and so when i found out that you know tolkien was a linguist at oxford university he traveled to iceland he he studied old norse and and the and the sagas and i suddenly realized wow like this is based off of something that was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before that are partly based on older sources that are since lost to the innumerable ages. And, and so I started then, you know, I picked that up and I moved forward with that. And eventually I discovered my, my affinity was to these stories that I later discovered were attributed to particular people that lived in particular times that had their own set of spirituality, which Uh, you know, it was an oral tradition. So it was lost for the most part due to time, uh, assimilation, conversion, be it willful or coerced. And, um, And so I realized that there are groups nowadays in the 21st century that are slowly reconstructing it, reconstructing it from whatever fragmentary information is out there. And so that allowed that allowed me to retain a degree of mystery and also have agency in how I craft my religious beliefs. Because a lot of the times, you know, when I grew up and I went to synagogue, I always, I always tell this, um, this story when I I sit in synagogue and I look at the rabbi and, uh, or the, or multiple rabbis up on, uh, up by the tabernacle carrying the Torah or, or reading for the Torah or speaking their sermon or whatnot. And I always had a disconnect. And I was thinking to myself, what makes this person special that he gets to be up there closer in quote in air quotes, closer to God. I didn't feel God there. I didn't feel divinity. I didn't feel connected spirit, spirituality. I wanted an intimate connection. And I found that intimate connection through heathenry by the fact that I not only managed to, connect to these stories, much like people connect to to stories in the Bible or stories in the Holy Quran or whatnot, but also be a part of the reformation of the religion, you know, um, and that's something that, you know, I'm sure maybe, I'm sure maybe, uh, maybe Protestants may, may have felt that same way during, during the, uh, you know, during the the great disconnect from from the Catholic church, you know, we now have these brand new novel and, you know, some people might say heretical ideas, but we're still going to go with it because we feel closer to to the aspect of the divine in our lives through this particular course. And so that's why heathenry is often termed an orthopraxic religion. We value correct practice over correct belief, because we don't have a holy scripture. We don't have any any dogma, and we don't have a particular system. And because we're so decentralized, we're relying on practice and our own personal practice. And that degree of intimacy is what ultimately led me to fall in love with heathenry.
0: Well, it's fascinating that a, a Catholic uh, writer led uh, led you to you know at least provided some of the stepping stones into heathenry. That's. That's fascinating. If I have any Catholic listeners, they'll probably tune out after this, but it's just an interesting thing how things develop in people's lives. Um, I first heard about your work through uh, a YouTube video, a dialogue that you had with Pastor, a pastor I hope I'm going to pronounce his name correctly, Andy Barrent? Andy Barrent, yes. Uh, yeah, of uh, Trinity Lutheran, is it Wapaka? Is that how you pronounce w- it? Wapaka. Wapaka, boy! I'm just mispronouncing everything. It's um, it's fine. Wisconsin Wisconsin place names are often
1: difficult to pronounce.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How did you and the pastor happen to connect and develop the relationship and have the dialogue?
1: I I've actually known Pastor Andy um, as a lot more of an acquaintance. Really, he was a he was a good friend of my wife's family, and when my wife and I were getting serious about getting married uh we had to figure out what an interfaith household would look like what 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 it would be like to be present in in each other's practices which are you know let's be real very uh opposite sides of the spectrum you know monotheism on one side polytheism on the other um and so we we realized that we had different thoughts and different visions of what we wanted, not just our household to be, but also when we were kind of crafting our wedding ceremony, you know, there are things that I, that I cannot, cannot say and oblige an oath to, I cannot oath to Jesus Christ because I am not a Christian. I cannot, I cannot receive communion. And so we brought in Pastor Andy, who was a good friend of her family's, and we eventually realized that we wanted an interfaith wedding. And in our wedding, we had Pastor Andy Barrett and my good friend Kurt Holman uh, both presiding. Mm-hmm. And Kurt was our 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 heathen clergy, and Pastor Andy was right, right beside him, and they were kind of they were kind of sharing roles. They were there were they each had designated roles that they played and then that was the first time that Andy and I never we ever connected um and that was the first time he had ever experienced or had any uh, um exposure to heathenry or paganism in general and so he was really he was really excited um and he was speaking to Kurt a lot and then eventually he and I began talking and um, I realized that he is somebody who's very he's very devoted to his mission um, in the ELCA, but he's also very receptive to to other faith traditions, understanding that religion does not live in a religion is not uh, it does not exist in a vacuum. Um, and, and many religions influence and play off each other. And so he's, through our discussions, I eventually I eventually realized that he would be somebody really good to bring into a project that I was doing. And back in 2018, I participated through Heathens Against Hate uh, with the Parliament of the World's Religion back up. It was held in Toronto. And so I did a presentation there. And I decided since then, every single one that I would attend, which they happen every three or four years... Um, I would present and do something, and so the past parliament, I asked Andy, "Hey, would you want to have a conversation?" Because one of the things that has been tearing a lot, or one of the one of the most um, troubled connect, um, relationships that exist in both the Christian and the pagan community, is the Christian pagan relationship with 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 a lot of with a lot of a lot of people you know tending to generalize things tend to kind of you know faith bash others and a lot of pagans come from uh from an abrahamic uh background mostly christian um and so i thought it was really important to have this conversation and me not being a christian i can't pretty much I can't talk about it. I'm not authorized to. I know nothing both theologically or practically on the religion, other than what I've seen by going to church with my wife or or whatnot. So Andy was really excited about it. And he and I sat down and we started figuring out well what kind of points we talk about, because talking about religion is <laughs> even even the most even the most basic concept. Uh, and as you've seen in that talk, like we were talking about divinity, ecology, and humanity, and, and even those are broad that can talk, be talked about for for years um, solely on those subjects. So we you know we work to try and concis,e ourselves and try to see what we can do in order to in order to hit the really good points that will allow people to at least latch on to those points where we can have. That discussion and further and further that discussion in the future and so that uh that discussion that you saw on youtube was essentially our um our preamble and our public preamble essentially to the discussion that we were having for people who attend in parliament
0: okay have those dialogues continued and has the congregation been involved
1: um, the congregation was involved during the Q and A, which which you may have seen in that video. Okay. Uh, I've since received several uh, feedback from from several congregants uh, since I, since that discussion, both when I was visiting Wapaka again, and you know, Pastor Andy is is really a pillar of the community there. So it's kind of hard to be in public with Pastor Andy, sort of like the celebrity of the, of Wapaka, where people just stop by and say hello, and some of them. Uh, did manage to introduce themselves saying, hey, I sat down during your discussion, because this was at a time where even though we were on stage without masks, everybody else was masked in the uh, in the congregation, so I didn't recognize faces at the time. Uh, so I did speak with a few people, um, but since then, things kind of, you know, we let things simmer, and I've been trying to figure out how how to move from there like how do we how do we continue the conversation without rehashing the conversation uh and that's something i'm working on right now because i'm i'm currently gearing up to attempt to present at the next uh, parliament which is i'm happy to say in august of 2023 in chicago uh so if you have a chance to fly up and 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 attend i highly recommend it uh shameless plug um uh, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, that's uh, I, I am looking forward to continue the conversation. So right now I'm just trying to figure out exactly how.
0: Yeah, I love the opportunity to attend. Um, I led a grant team of three evangelical Christian pastors and three evangelical scholars uh, called Multifaith Matters, which is what this podcast and organization was birthed out of. And uh, we met periodically in different locations for the team members, and uh, I'm in the greater Salt Lake City area. And we had the meeting here in Salt Lake at the time when the parliament was meeting in Salt Lake. And so our team was able to go, and we didn't present any panels or anything, but we had uh, several uh, team members had relationships with those in the pagan community who were there. And so we met for dinner. And I would like to think we may have set a record for the largest number of Christians and pagans together. In, you know, in one instance, we had six of us evangelicals and we must have had about 20 pagans or something. And it, it was a great time. It was fascinating because uh, not all of our team has a uh, familiarity with dialogue with pagans. One is very active in, in uh, dialogue with the Muslim and Jewish communities. He's very comfortable in that environment. And I watched him that evening and he was very uncomfortable with the pagans. So it was, insightful for me because just because one is comfortable in one interfaith arena or context doesn't translate to everything that there are some unique specifics about that kind of thing but uh, I would love an opportunity to you know be a part of that what's going on in Chicago it'd be nice to put together some kind of formal you know pagan Christian dialogue kind of thing if I don't know if that's what you're, you're, you said you were trying to put that together
1: yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to ruminate on how I can get this a little bit, a little bit, a little bit larger, because the conversation I initially wanted to do, that I initially wanted to present to Parliament, because I initially spoke to uh, Phyllis Curat who is one of the, one of the ma- um, managing directors of Parliament, who is also a very well-known uh, uh, Wiccan priestess, um, and and she and I were convor- conversing back and forth on on what we wanted uh, on how I could better craft this. And the initial idea was to actually get a, a multi-faith panel of having a, 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 uh, a Lutheran minister, a a Catholic, uh, a Catholic bishop or, or a Catholic uh, uh, priest, um, a Muslim cleric, uh, a Sikh, you know, we wanted, uh, we, we wanted a lot, a lot more than just pagan Christian because um, a lot of the, a lot of the tensions that are under discussion in in the pagan christian uh, dynamic is very true on right. on the pagan or the polytheistic monotheistic dynamic mm-hmm. and so getting the big monotheistic religions that being christianity judaism islam and uh, and and sikhism as well is is one of those it's one of those uh one of those ideas that, that I wanted to float, float out, but I just didn't, I didn't have any connection. I don't regrettably, I, I, I know very little, very few Muslims, especially here now, now that I'm in Wisconsin. um, uh, And we, we want to kind of take that same platform of a panel discussion that's kind of centered around particular topics and kind of, almost do like a panel Ted talk of sorts Mm -hmm. where there's a lot more, where there's a lot more Q and a with the audience. Um, And regrettably parliament only gave us 45 minutes for our presentation, which is not nearly enough just for a pagan and a, and a Christian, yet alone a panel of four, you know, faith leaders. So it's, it's trying to condense a lot in a very small amount of time.
0: (laughs) Well, I have had the, uh, the dialogue with pagans here on the podcast before, but we haven't had anybody uh, from heathenry, and could you say a little bit to that about what it's about, maybe some of its uh, uniqueness? Uh, I, I want, f- especially the Christians who are listening and watching this podcast, I'm not using heathen in the old Christian sense of a disparaging term for anyone who's a non-Christian, and um, it has a specific referent within your tradition. Can you speak to that? Correct, um,
1: and and thank you for mentioning that. Uh, usually, I kind of I kind of lead that with my elevator pitch there. <laughs> that that heathen, while it what while, while it has been used as a in a pejorative sense, um, modern heathens nowadays have have opted to to create it as an approbative, similar to similar to how Lutherans or or, or Lutheran was a pejorative. Back, you know, back in the day, and then Lutherans or, or evangelicals were like, you know, what? No, we're going to take that, and we're going to call ourselves mm-hmm. Lutheran because we're proud of of that <laughs> of that disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, but heathenry, essentially, also known as also true or Germanic paganism, is essentially a pagan or polytheistic belief in uh, or reconstruction of the beliefs of the Germanic people that once inhabited uh, central and northern. And insular parts of Europe, so a lot of the mythology that you're familiar with of you know the god Odin or Thor or Freya or Frigg, um, Loki, like those those deities that we're familiar with, uh, you know, from comic books to any other pop culture reference, uh, those are part of the pantheon that are that is specifically relegated to. Uh, you know the quote-unquote Germanic pantheon. Um, there are many others. Some of them are a little bit more obscure. Uh, and heathenry is a decent, as I mentioned before is a decentralized orthopraxic religion. So a lot of a, a lot of the religion is considered a reconstructionist religion, where our our religion is very much a religion of study, where we focus a lot on on academic folkloric uh philological and linguistic resources to kind of build a a foundation that's rooted in what we know of the Germanic people and kind of you know build it build it up a little bit uh, a little bit more that fits in 21st century because let's face mm-hmm. it you know things that were back that we know occurred back in the day cannot occur you know nowadays we've we've <laughs> we have a we have about a, a couple thousand years of uh, you know doing things different. Um, so the the he the a lot of the uh, heathenry in pop culture or, or 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 heathen iconography that you often come across mainly is you'll see you'll see the Thor's hammer, um, which has become a synonymous symbol of our faith. It's a symbol of of consecration and it's a symbol of protection and uh Thor's hammers have been found throughout Scandinavia and, and continental Europe in you know made from bone wood stone uh amber um and that kind of became part of our faith obviously a lot of people in like the 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 heavy metal community often also wear Thor's hammers because there's, you know, Viking metal and folk metal that kind of adopts a lot of the symbology and, and a lot of the iconography of of uh, of Germanic folklore. And so that kind of, you know, you'll you'll sometimes, you know, that kind of seeped into that um, runes, which is a, a system of writing um, that has been used for commemorative inscription and calendar making. Um, is also a very popular, a very popular uh, symbol that you may see. And the most famous act that you normally see is people raising horns, which are literally like you know cattle horns that are often leaf- often filled with mead or other kind of alcoholic libation. Although nowadays it could very much be non-alcoholic, um, and we kind of you would kind of see that in in a in a ceremonial fashion. And so heathenry is essentially the, the, the celebration and the reverence and the honoring of gods, of nature spirits, and of ancestors. And important to specify, ancestors can be both ancestors of blood, meaning kinship, your grandparents, great-grandparents, and so on and so forth, but also ancestors beyond your blood. People that are worthy of honor, people that had existed that are worthy of honor, who may not be connected to you um, genetically or biologically or whatnot, um, but those are kind of the primary, primary things that that heathens often revere in their in their spiritual practice.
0: Well, I've uh, interacted, as I've said before, with a number of pagans in, in dialogue, and uh, I'm familiar with. Pagan Christian dialogue and dialogue with other tra- that pagans do with other traditions, but you are the first uh, heathen that I've encountered in this. Is it fair to say that there aren't many heathens doing dialogue, or is it just not as well known? And can can you then ta- talk a little bit about the kind of dialogue work that you're doing? So I,
1: one of my biggest criticism criticisms about paganism and especially about heathenry, um, is that we're very insular. And that has been born both out of a mistrust, but also born out of certain practices. Mistrust because a lot of us are by Christian accounts apostates. We've renounced our our you know we've renounced our previous faith, be it if we were Jewish or Christian or whatnot, in favor of another that we had found that we connect to. Um, Nowadays, we actually are coming up to the point where we do have generational heathens, which is good to see, that are born into heathenry. But many of us um, are not. Many of us were born and raised in different religions. So when we leave a faith, we we oftentimes leave it with either unanswered questions or like, you know, like disgruntled teenagers, we often leave in a huff, mm-hmm. and so and so we have. Sometimes we may have unresolved issues that are might you know might be very valid issues, but you know unresolved nonetheless, and so that that could create distrust. Um, the other is out of practice. What Heathens do mainly one of the most sacred things that we do is we we commit ourselves to oath taking. And in, in heathenry, oath-taking is, is a very serious and sacred act in the sense of anybody who observes it is tied and bound to it. So if I were to make an oath myself and you were to hear it, you are bound and under obligation that I fulfill that. And that's something that's very, that can only be done in, in, in circles of, of great trust and so a lot of heathen practice revolves around this these circles of trust and while that is very good to form these circles that also creates that also creates isolationism and that's why unfortunately a lot of the well fortunately and unfortunately the fortunate part of this is that we've taken a lot of our time and energy into formulating our practice and developing our practice and finding more ways to to, to add, omit, and change based on, you know, like I said before, like historical findings and, and whatnot. And so we are building ourselves a good foundations Then we are focused on our work as heathens. But the downside to that is that we have not developed enough focus outward, And enough attention to educate the outside world on what heathenry is and does, and that you know, unfortunately, is is you know the chickens are coming home to roost. You know, (laughs) a lot of people are are taken aback. They they don't know much about heathenry, and unfortunately, due to certain you know current events these past several years. Um, heathenry some, has sometimes come in the foreground in the shadow of white supremacy, and that's, and that's something that is even more so prompting myself and others to get out there and, and get into interfaith spaces and, and, and educate more on heathenry so that a, uh, a more wholesome and more inclusive understanding um, be brought to light.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, if it's any consolation, I don't know that heathenry is the only insulated religious community. I think there's just a natural human tendency. We focus on our own lives, our own religious community, and I think folks like you and I are probably more the exception than the rule. In that, you know, we really want to deep dive not only within our own traditions, but we we also have an outward focus. We want to understand others. We want to have the dialogue, and we're constantly pulling members of our own community into those liminal spaces to try and encounter others. So, it, but, but I do appreciate the dynamics, the special dynamics that pagans and heathens have encountered that, that add an extra layer of difficulty to that process. Now, you, you mentioned um, uh, white supremacy and that type of thing, which leads to the natural question, you're doing this interfaith work. You're also with an organization called Heathens Against Hate, which to me is fascinating. Can you talk to that and how your interfaith work Uh, in my experience, my interfaith or multi-faith work uh, has both internal and external dynamics to it. And many times it's the internal dynamics, it's the intra-faith that is more challenging for me than the interfaith. I oftentimes have an easier time interacting, whether it's a pagan, Satanist, Muslim, and I get pushback and blowback from members of my own community who think I'm liberal, compromising, not being faithful, et cetera. Maybe I'm not even a true Christian kind of a thing. I would imagine that you experience even more intense dynamics in those regards. Could you speak to that?
1: Yeah. So there's through my work through heathens against hate, which where we we've formed ourselves as a, as a education religious organization um, to create better awareness on inclusive practices in heathenry. Cause the, 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 the big pink elephant in the room in heathenry is the fact that a lot of American heathenry was born out of a very exclusionary, very bigoted and very racist foundation. And it took it took several years until like the early 90s, where there was a, 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 a you know a, a schism of sorts and and In heathenry, you would often find two camps, the inclusive and the folkish, coming from the German felkish, meaning of the folk or of the people. Folkish heathenry specifically has the caveat um, that in order to belong, you have to be of European descent, a.k.a. white, which puts a genetic marker on on whether or not you can belong to to a religion, something that... uh, Uh, Matthias Gardel in his book Gods of the Blood termed the the biologization of spirituality Um, and that's essentially what folkish heathenry does and inclusive heathenry is exactly counter to that we don't care it doesn't matter because the gods call to whomever and and you cannot put uh, any kind of mark on it and so that's kind of the work the heathens against hate does is that we're we're bringing you know' we're, we're kind of shining a light to not just the differences but also to our own problems within our own tradition um and you know every every religious every faith tradition on this on the on this planet has uh, has some form of of, of extremity and for us it's it's white supremacy which has co-opted our our symbols the same symbols that i that i mentioned earlier after charlottesville in 2016 we we saw an influx of all those symbols you know being put forth by the uh, you know national socialist movement in the united states that even switched their main logo from a swastika to one of our runes and so that's you know people have no idea what these what these symbols are but guess who carries most of those symbols? We do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we have to then explain before we can even explain heathenry, we then, some people actually have to, you know, take a, take a few steps back and say, first of all, I'm not racist. And then develop a kind of bitter rapport. And it's kind of really confusing (laughs) and, and, and to the detriment of, 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 of everything that occurred up until this point, um, but, to, but, to the effect of pushback from my own community, you are one hundred percent correct on that because a lot of there's a lot of things that I've encountered, both within people that have supported or initially supported heathens against hate. Um, some people thought that we were too soft because we also believe in rehabilitation. Um, a lot of a lot of our work that we try to do, we model or try to model or or put as an exemplar with the work of Life After Hate, which is uh, which is a great nonprofit that is comprised of and founded by former extremists to reform extremists who leave the movement. Something that takes years, something that takes you know a lot of time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears to do. Um, and we believe in that. and some people, some people thought that we're being too apologetic that, you know, Nazis only deserve to be punched. <laughs> right. And and it's it's something that while I don't but while I don't subscribe necessarily to the doctrine of turning the other cheek, I do subscribe to the doctrine of compassion. And there is a way of of, of dispensing compassion. And sometimes, Sometimes there are people that choose not to receive it, and so I will dispense it elsewhere. Um, But ultimately we want to show compassion by allowing people to have the option of working to opt out. And and that especially comes to people who come into heathenry um, who initially might gravitate towards these exclusionary and racist groups because they're loud and they're they're boisterous and you know what, they sell a pretty good package Um, or at least it's an attractive one until you realize that there's nothing but a dark void in there. Um, And so we kind of want to say, hey, you can have a community and you can have a voice and you can have this beautiful um, faith tradition without all the hate baggage. Without exclusionary practice, um, and so people within my own community have some of them have pushed against it, and some of people have definitely pushed against me after I've said it once in a podcast previous, and I'll say it again now. <laughs> and for all the pagan listeners, especially heathens, um, you will you might disagree with the statement, but I used to believe that exclusionary heathens or folkish heathens are not heathen. And that is an inaccurate statement to make from a religious perspective. They believe the same things that we do. They honor the same gods that we do. They even worship in similar manner that we do with the exception of their, their extreme extremist ideology that's attached. While that extremist ideology is not something that has ever been a part of our religion to, say that they're not and completely you know you know kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. um like you can't do that so unfortunately yes they are heathens we have to count them in our religious category and we have to understand that this is a a part of our religious category that we have to work with and we have to accept we have to accept that there are people that have their own ideas even if even if those ideas are things that we vehemently disagree with, and so a lot of the pushback that I've received um, as of late has been that, and it also has been my conversation with Christians because there is a lot, a lot of religious trauma mm-hmm. that occurs now, and and I'm not I'm not a, I have no degree in psychology I I don't know how to deal with it. I only know that I can understand respect and hope that I can somehow reach people in a certain way that allows them to at least examine that um, because a lot of people have much like you know much like other Christians who are not familiar with with heathenry or with paganism um, tend to, you know, paint us with a broad stroke. I, I even posted something recently on Facebook about uh, an article that was very ranty that that was that was written in uh, in uh, on Pathéos Pagan, which is a which is a pagan blog of sorts where people can submit writings. And this author just went on and on that that and, and she was painting a lot of, of Christianity with a really broad stroke of a brush. With no background into, you know, even basic background into Christian theology, um, and so it wasn't a critique because critiques are thoughtful; they think critically and ask pertinent questions. This was just uh, uh, this was just a blab of, of 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 discontent. And while I understand the discontent, we can't live in that discontent. We have to move beyond it. And so the biggest pushback that I received in my community is that of a lot of visceral reactions against Christians and me trying my best to kind of show, at least through my own experience of interacting with Christians, especially, you know, in an intimate setting such as a marriage, for instance, how you cannot have blanketed statements and you can't say, well, Christians did this, so... You know they must you know they must be bad or they must yada, yada yada because that's exactly what is being leveled against heathens and pagans by christians who don't who also have a limited understanding so it's 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 just kind of we're 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 mudslinging at this point and it's just a matter of trying to kind of put a wall in between and be like hey stop let's put the you know the let's clean our muddy hands for a minute and, and, and sit down and talk.
0: Yeah, I, I think that is a helpful reminder for Christians who are watching and listening uh, to be mindful of the, the trauma, the perceptions, uh, people who have, pagans have experienced it themselves, or after becoming a pagan, they've kind of adopted that as the narrative uh, of the relationship between Christianity and paganism and those kinds of things. We just have to be receptive to it. I also appreciate something of what you said. It it swerved into the no true Scotsman fallacy, right? And and every religious community does it. The Muslims don't care for the terrorists. Uh, You know, that's not true Islam. Uh, We Christians will say, well, you know, those who... uh, who go into a, an African American church and, uh, and engage in a shooting or whatever, that, that's not a true Christian. And the rea- I, I don't hold to this essential essentialized definition of religion. It's not this objective thing out there, it is as it is lived, whether in good ways or bad ways. And I think we all, it's incumbent upon all of us to tap into the best of our religious traditions, recognizing the darkness is there to overcome those challenges. With that in mind, what are the, some of the tools and the resources that you, as a Heathen, tap into, both in your interfaith work and in your your combating extremism?
1: Well, the main the main inf- or the main resource in any of a situation like that is information, right? And and disseminating disseminating that information properly, and and to the right people. A lot of what we do, at least with Heathens Against Hate, what we try to do is um, we have some prison in reach where we try to reach people in prison because prisons are the hotbed of, of racism and extremism in the United States, at least. Um, And, and a place where it's already segregated and it's already different with its own set of culture and rules or whatnot. Um, But when, but when people who are incarcerated get out, sometimes they get out with whatever they were indoctrinated in prison. And sometimes that kind of, you know, something in prison transforms them. You know, people find religion in prison. What religion they find and in in what state they find it in is is literally based upon whatever material makes it into their hands. So that's that's one element, and that's something that honestly carries over to anything else, even outside of institutions, um, where – you want to get proper information out so for instance if someone says well you know heathenry is based off of central uh, or the germanic people of central and northern europe so you know they were white so in essence like that this is you know i don't understand why why uh, a person of color would want to partake in that religion um while it's true that it may have developed there, there is no attestation in any sources, and and actually, to the contrary, there's more attestation of of cross cultural involvement in ancient times than there is cultural exclusion. Um, so there's actually like a lot of evidence to the contrary. But regardless of that, even if even if you want to throw, even if we want to throw away the information out there that, you know, it never happened in antiquity and so it shouldn't happen today. The ultimate fact is that we, again, are a decentralized religion. We are a Reconstructionist religion. So those are two things. So with the Reconstructionist religion, that means that we have the responsibility to build things in the 21st century. And that means... That we put our own feelings, our own emotions, our own responses to our current society. So if you build something that says only white people get to join, that has nothing to do with anything in antiquity. It has nothing to do with the religion itself. It has to do with your personal biases. And that is, and and that's like the main key point that we're trying to make is that you don't have to add that in there. There's nothing that says that you that you that you should. Well, there's nothing that says that you shouldn't either, but the fact that you're choosing says nothing about the faith and more about you as a person. And so part of the tools that we try to implement is kind of seeing those things the other the other thing that we're trying to or I'm personally trying to do is you know one of the things that in pagan circles has been has always cropped up when there's a pagan christian discussion is to say, you know, well, Christians are responsible for the Inquisition and for the Puritan burning times in, in, in early American history, and they were responsible for killing our, our, our witch ancestors or our so on and so forth. That's true, but it's, it's a fallacy to go ahead and equate the larger aspect of it you know it's it's sort of like the same thing of you wouldn't accuse and i'm going to use this very abrasive example and and i apologize for anybody who is a german listener but it's almost like accusing modern day germans for the third reich they had nothing to do with it Mm -hmm. they're 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 german by nationality are you gonna put all of german people as you know as 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 Nazis, Germans are ashamed of that period in their history. Mm -hmm. They recognize it. They're ashamed of it. And they've worked themselves to be better and make sure that that never, ever happens again. That is actually a very good lesson to take from it. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, that a lot of people should take from it as well, that people in pagan spaces understand. Yes, Christianity has done so, but Christianity Christianity has also changed in the in the millennia that it's been in existence the christianity of the of the of the first to six or seven centuries are is a very different christianity from you know the the 16th and 17th which is very different from the christianity in you know in 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 18th and tw- to the 21st centuries and that in and even in that i'm using christianity in the broad sense i'm not talking about denominations which There are a whole slew of which. And so these are some of the critical things that we or me myself try to bring into the conversation with pagans for them to understand that you can't just say, well, Christians are that. You know, I like a lot of people try to bring in personal things that they know about me saying, well... How can you sit there and talk to a Christian who believes that your father, who my father's an openly gay man, like he, he believes that, you know, like, how can you sit with somebody across the table who believes that your father's going to go to hell? And I, I tell them, I, my father doesn't believe that he's going to hell. My father doesn't care.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If this person believes that my father is going to hell, I will ask them, what else do they believe? And then, if they, and then if they tell me that they believe in the love and compassion of Jesus Christ, my next question would be, well, which one is more important? Which one is stronger? Which one is the basis of your faith? Because quoting Leviticus until you blew in the face is not the basis of your faith. Um, and this is me speaking, obviously, as a non-Christian, but I've encountered enough Christian bigotry of my own to kind of try to see what I can deflect or at least return with a question that makes a person kind of say, huh. So at the same token, pagans should do the same thing. If they level all these things against Christians, they should also examine why they're doing that in the first place. And if it is some, it comes from a place of trauma, then that is something that they need to deal with themselves, either professionally or with or either through lay counseling or or through their friends, through their family, or through professionals, in order to have a healthier and more wholesome understanding of their own faith, so they're secure enough to not go out and bash somebody else's.
0: Well, you've had the experience over the years in these dialogue situations with uh, Christians. Uh, here you are, a, an evangelical Christian podcast. What kinds of takeaways would you like? those viewers and listeners to take away from even some difficult truths, some, some things to remember, um, not just for uh, pagans in general, but maybe even if there's some heathen specifics, what would you like us to take away from a conversation like this?
1: One of the main things that I'd like to take away, and I spoke about this um, at the, at the conversation I had with Andy, my, um, my, my commandment theory, um, which this tr- the, the theory transcends whatever whatever religion is whatever religion it is that is not Christian. But like my commandment theory, based on a, on a story, and people can uh, can see the can see the talk in detail. But basically, the commandment theory is is that a Christian remembers one of the main commandments of "Thou shall have no other gods before me." And that's the first thing that that, that 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 comes to mind when encountering somebody of another faith, especially one that is antithetical to monotheism, to that particular commandment. And so the theory goes is that they think about this commandment and then think to themselves, "Am I in breach?" Of that commandment by associating or speaking with this particular person who is not a Christian, and so that essentially would close that person off. They would not want to talk because they they, they would not want to talk or converse or or or, or even try to not be curious about and kind of shun their eyes away because they are. They, they fear that they're in violation of that first commandment and in turn violation of their relationship with God almighty. And again, underline bold and italicize the word theory based on my personal experience. So, so this by no means is something that is dictated across the board, but it is something that I, that I found, uh, that I found curious. Um, and so I would encourage um, the evangelical listeners who are good people of the book who I'm sure have read it many times and are very familiar with Genesis and the commandments I don't believe that you are in breach I don't believe that you're that neither neither your God nor his son would be angry with you to to be open mind and compassionate in in getting an understanding of fellow human beings, because if you also note in the Bible that the human race was created as one, it wasn't created in, you know, we're going to create white people first, people of color second, you know, uh, you know, poor countries last rich countries first or something like that. It was just creating humanity and we are all in this same creation together, and I think uh, I, I really think that uh, that that your God and the in the God of your forebearers would uh, would relish you to you know reach you know reach out at least an under an understanding hand in uh, in finding some of his uh, some of his other uh, others in his creation.
0: Well, I, I think you're on to something with your theory. I mean, you mentioned earlier that you, uh, you're you not a psychologist. You haven't studied psychology. Uh, when we did some of our grant work, we did a little research in social psychology to understand the theology and praxis of conservative Christians when it comes to those and other religions. And I really think you're on to something. There is uh, a concern that they will somehow become contaminated spiritually. They'll become impure. Uh, maybe even receive spiritual harm. And so there's this tendency to either shy away and not engage or to be defensive to keep the the possible infection, if you will, at bay. And uh, one of the things we're trying to do is encourage Christians, look, Jesus operated within a Jewish culture where purity concerns were dominant as a part of their religious outlook. But Jesus was willing to go And speak with the outcasts of his society, the lepers, and those who were tax collectors, and all those things. And uh, if if we're to call Jesus, uh, uh, you know, the leader of our uh, religious tradition, then we ought to be willing to go to those kinds of spaces that he was willing to go to. So I, I think you're onto something. I tried to give a theological. Justification for what you're encouraging from your religious framework, but I think you're onto something there. Uh, you,
1: you have, you have the. I think, I believe you have more religious education than myself, so <laughs> you can go ahead and dive into that for sure.
0: <laughs> well, as we draw our time to a close, could you mentioned a, a book when you and I were conversing before we started recording the podcast? Can you mention that one again, and any other books that you would? recommend for viewers and listeners to learn more about, uh, heathenry and paganism in general?
1: Um, so with heathenry and paganism is such a large umbrella term uh, that I, I can't even start on a particular book because, (laughs) you know, we are also broken up. It's sort of like if you had Christianity 101, like where would you go? Right, right, exactly. (laughs) Um, so, but more specifically to heathenry, the book that I mentioned earlier was American Heathens by Jennifer Snook, um, and she uh, she's a professor in uh, Grinnell University, and she did the closest as she could uh, census of American heathens, uh, heathens in the United States, you know, in terms of our numbers, in terms of the of the tradition and and certain time of uh, perspectives and beliefs that we uh, hold. Um, so that's a that's a pretty interesting book to kind of get an idea more about, us as a is a religious community in terms of uh in terms of uh of beliefs and practice or whatnot um there are a lot of um beginner beginner books um there's a beginner's guide to also true by uh, uh an author by the name of matthias nordvig um as well as another one by uh patricia la um and if you see Beginner's Guide to Astro, and you put Patricia, you put Matthias, um, you'll it, it should pop up. Um, and if you want a bit more, uh, a bit more of an expansive um, volumes, um, and um, no shame, I'm plugging a bit of my organization here. <laughs> sure. But the tr- but the the Troth offers um, our our Troth Volume One and Volume Two, which pretty pretty thick volumes there that uh volume one kind of deals with the with the beliefs and volume two deals with the practice but it it becomes a it it is a little bit more detailed but it is also very uh very nicely cited by uh uh written and cited by multiple uh by multiple contributors and compiled by uh by one of our members ben wagner and so that is definitely something that uh that a lot of um, people who start out in heathenry usually uh, get accustomed to. And, and, it, and it deals with a lot of things that are sometimes it sometimes gets even more esoteric. So it might be a little, yeah, a little too much to chew, but a lot of these beginner books and especially uh, Jennifer's book is uh, are, those are books that, you know, they're fairly, fairly small volumes that can kind of get uh, get people to have a, to have a basic idea. Um, and I did want to mention that when you, when you were mentioning that whole idea of, of kind of, you know, uh, spiritual uh, ickiness or spiritual right, right. sickness or whatnot, it, it, it's important to understand that that's kind of an underst it's an understandable feeling from, a, from, a from the perspective of like religion is so huge on our identity. And, and we're, and we are very covetous of our identity because, we feel that if we lose it, um, we would be nothing. Mm-hmm. And identity, much like you know, m- much like ogres, it has layers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, it, 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 religion is not everything you are, even though you put a lot of you of who you are into it. And so, and so, I think it's important that you know that see how people layer their own religion. Onto themselves. I am not just a heathen. I am also a husband. I am also a welding student. I I I, I am also. I also belong to fraternities. I also belong to. I, I, I am also. You know, love. Yeah, I'm I'm learning how to dance. In in my 38 years, I I hated to I hated dancing. Now I'm going and practicing ballroom dancing. Uh you know, there's be a lot of
0: man than I. <laughs> like,
1: oh, I mean, I mean, my my wife is a ballroom is, is a ballroom dance instructor. Okay. So, like, you know, I, I, yoga is maybe on my docket too. Who knows? But like, all these things kind of layer up into who Ethan is, and so it kind of look at yourself and figure like who who you are, and then look at somebody else, and if essentially you look at somebody else and be like, well, they are this, remember that you are not just that, and so they are not just that. And so maybe maybe by reconciling that, you realize that you can kind of chip away that feeling of, of sickness or ickiness or whatnot because you're confident in your spirituality. And I'm sure that you can attest to this also in your interfaith work. People who are wholly confident in their beliefs are oftentimes more receptive to understanding others because they don't feel that they'll be losing anything.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I appreciate those uh, suggestions yeah. there. There's uh, this uh, interest amongst scholars in psychology now to focus on intellectual humility. And the way they're defining it is the willingness to go into conversations admitting that you you could be wrong in a lot of areas. I, I, I'm not comfortable with that because in my experience with Christians who are willing to meet with Jews and pagans and Muslims and everything, it's not really, they're not going into it saying, gee, I think I'm wrong It's really a humble confidence. If you're confident in your tradition, you recognize, yeah, along the way, I'm going to discover areas that I'm wrong, but you're humble in the process and you're not afraid that you're going to get contaminated or it's one human being needing meeting another and developing relationships, having conversations and, uh, i think we need more of this humble confidence yeah yeah, i mean we we we
1: get heathens get the like wait you believe in thor like the comic book character so like (laughs) we have to be humble and be like okay let me let me kind of swallow that a little bit and explain a little bit about it so yeah i mean sometimes yeah so we we both get a, a bit of flavors here and there of 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 certain you know certain kind of like to talk about things truthfully you have i think you have to be humble about them first
0: yeah yeah well i appreciate you recommending uh, recommending those resources i will when i go back and add a little editing to this at the, the front and tail end i will listen to that and I'll, uh, in the uh, program notes uh, folks can find uh, the troth heathen heathens against hate and i'll try and find the links for uh, those books that you recommend so that folks can seek them out. And yep.
1: uh, and if anybody has any questions, you can also add my website as well. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, if people want to reach direct or whatnot. And um, I will definitely also continue the conversation with you because I think you and I might be able to to also work something out for this coming parliament if you're able to make it.
0: I would love to do it. I don't know that you sent me the the link to your. Uh, you did the troth and I found Heathens Against Hate. If you've got a personal website, if you would email me that, and I can incorporate that into the the notes, or is it through the trove? Uh, no, I, it, my personal
1: website. It's a uh, hallowed renewal all one Okay. okay
0: that um, and yeah. and I'll
1: I'll 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 give you I'll give you all that all that stuff.
0: Okay, For I sure. will include that in the program notes as well. Uh, Again, my guest has been Ethan Stark. Ethan, thank you so much. I hope this is the, the first of many conversations. Thank you very much. I look forward to more.